Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, uh, selected verses from chapters 6 and 7. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Some men who were from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen's, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly induced some men to say, We heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people, the elders, and the experts in the law. They came, dragged Stephen away, and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They presented false witnesses who said, This man never stops making threats against this holy place and the law. In fact, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs Moses handed down to us. All those who were sitting in the Sanhedrin were looking intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked, Are these things true? Stephen said, Gentlemen, brothers and fathers, listen. You stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You are doing just what your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who prophesied the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers, you who received the laws transmitted by angels but did not keep it. When they heard these things, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Look, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and rushed at him with one purpose in mind. They threw him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After he said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. We pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, if I were to ask you to choose one word to summarize the real, genuine meaning of Christmas, what word would you choose? And do not say Jesus. This is not Sunday school. What word would you choose? I know because you're here the day after Christmas, you wouldn't choose something silly like good cheer or gifts or even family. What word would you choose? How about Emmanuel? Emmanuel, that name given by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah to that baby born to Mary and Joseph in that manger in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, that word that means God with us. Doesn't that summarize what Christmas is all about? God taking on human flesh to make his dwelling among us. And it's not even just a Christmas theme for us, is it? How could we get by a single day in our lives in this difficult world without knowing Jesus' final promise before he left this earth and his ascension? Surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. Again, that I am, God is with us to the very end of the age. That's 
That's the, the comfort that we have each and every day of our lives. That is the message that we really want to proclaim to the world. God is with us here and now. The question is, what does that have to do with today? The festival of St. Stephen's martyrdom. I know it seems like a strange time, right, the day after Christmas, to be thinking about something as gloomy and disturbing as somebody being murdered for confessing Christ. But I think as we study the account of Stephen, we will come to a better understanding of that link between Emmanuel, God is with us, and how that actually plays itself out in our lives. I don't think it's a very, it's a very abstract idea to imagine that God is with us, right? What does that look like, practically speaking? From the moment that God forced Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden on account of their rebellion, it has been difficult, if not impossible, for your average believer to discern God's presence in their lives. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, God spoke to certain people, to patriarchs, to prophets, to Moses, but that was actually a very rare thing. For your average believer in the Old Testament, they never spoke to God. They never heard God speak, except perhaps at Sinai. It's hard to discern God's presence in your life. A Romanian priest by the name of Richard Wormwood talked about or told a story about a Yugoslavian Christian who was imprisoned and tortured for his Christian faith by the communists who were in power at that time. And for a while, his, his courage and his confession held out. He, he confessed proudly and he sang hymns and he said, he trusted, the Lord has not abandoned me. But eventually he got worn down by the torture. And eventually he began to doubt and despair that God really was with him. And eventually, sadly, he hanged himself and he left this note for his wife. I have gone to remind God of a world he has forgotten. It's not hard to understand that sentiment, right? Where is God in our world? Is he really with us? Where is God when we suffer or the people we love suffer? Where is God, or who is the God who allows tornadoes to ravage the center of our country, taking dozens of lives right in the middle of the night? Is God really with us when some Anabaptist Christian missionaries can go to Haiti to try to do good work, to try to proclaim Christ, to try to help rebuild after the hurricanes there, and then they're, they're kidnapped by a Haitian gang, and they have to flee in the middle of the night to get away for their freedom? Where is God in a country where it is legal to kill your unborn child, but it is growing more and more illegal to require that you use the restroom that matches your biological identity? Is God really with us? I'm sure the Christians living in the time of Stephen had to wonder the same thing. Stephen was one of the seven deacons chosen to assist the apostles with the day-to-day workings of the church um, so that the apostles could focus all of their time on preaching and teaching the word. They were called, but today I would consider them not on the same level as pastors, but probably like the church council. Um, And scripture describes Stephen this way, saying that he... It was a man full of grace and power, a man who did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. 
He was also a courageous man. He boldly confessed Christ, even in front of hostile audiences, and even in front of the very group, the Sanhedrin, that had just months earlier put Jesus to death. And that's what got him in trouble. That's what got him in hot water. Stephen's opponents, Scripture says, were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So what they do, they resorted to the same thing they did with Jesus. They resorted to a smear campaign. They induced people to lie about what he was actually saying. They presented false witnesses who said, this man never stops making threats against this holy place and the law. In fact, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs Moses handed down to us. Stephen was placed on trial for blasphemy which under God's Old Testament covenant was a crime punishable by death. And yet he didn't back down. He continued to confess. He, he cited Israel's infamous history of persecuting and putting to death the prophets that God had sent. And then he draws this conclusion. If you read the chapters, the verses in between what we read this morning, he draws this conclusion where he says, you're just like them. You're just like your forefathers, putting to death prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and others who have come before. You're just like them because you reject the work of the Holy Spirit on your hearts. You refuse to repent and you refuse to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's when things reached the breaking point. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You are doing just what your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? When they heard these things, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and rushed at him with one purpose in mind. They threw him out of the city and stoned him. I don't think anyone could blame the Christians living in the time of Stephen for wondering... Is God really with us? Or did we make a mistake? Was Jesus just a lunatic, a liar, a deceiver? Is God really with us when we are committing ourselves to doing the work of spreading the good news about him and our own continue to be killed? I think we can learn two lessons about the, the stoning of Stephen, his death as a martyr. The first is that this fallen, sinful, broken world continues to be ruled by Satan himself. It's never going to love the message of Christ crucified. It's never going to accept it. It's always going to hate it and despise it. It's always going to persecute those who confess it. We're deluding ourselves if we think it's ever going to be safe to be a Christian. Certainly, maybe in our country it's been safe for decades, maybe since the founding of our country, but there's no guarantee that that will last even as we see our religious rights eroding right before our very eyes these days. That's the first lesson. The second would be, this can happen to us. Like I said, Stephen was called. He was a called worker in the church, but he he wasn't an apostle. He was really just an average guy. He was an average church member. He was a layman. He was like you. And here he was put on trial for confessing Christ. This could happen to anybody. Maybe it has happened to you. Maybe you have felt the heat of persecution, the pressure, the hostility of a sinful world that continues to be ruled by Satan. Maybe you've had a falling out with a friend or relative 
because you've had the courage to, to point out and to call them to repentance for living a sinful lifestyle. Maybe you chafe when you hear celebrities and politicians mock Christians as stupid and ignorant and backwards. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe you've never felt pressure for your faith, hostility against your confession of Christ. And maybe that's a better question for us today. If that's true, if you've never felt a little bit afraid, if you've never had someone shout at you for confessing the historic Christian faith, why is that? Is it because maybe during the family gatherings you've had and will have this holiday season, you've come to the unwritten agreement that we're not going to discuss anything as sensitive as religious matters? Maybe it's because at work none of your coworkers even know you're a Christian. Maybe it's because you've bowed to the pressure of the world. You've, you've gone along with the tide. You don't want to rock the boat. You just want to, to get along and go along. And, and you, while you feel safe and comfortable, proudly and loudly confessing Christ here in church, when you're out there, you say, well, I'll just keep that private. I'll just keep it to myself. That's a sin against the second commandment. That's misusing God's name by not using it to pray, praise, and give thanks. And I think all of us in here, and I'm not holding myself up as someone who has kept that commandment perfectly, all of us in here would have to confess we have not been courageous and bold like Stephen in his confession of Christ, especially when it threatens our friendships, our family relationships, maybe our jobs. And for that, we must repent. But here's the good news. Whether, whether we've been hurt by the world because we have opened our mouths and confessed Christ, or we've offended our holy God because we've been cowardly and kept them closed, there's good news here in Stephen's account for us. Listen again to what happened at the climax of this story. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In that dark moment, even as Stephen's enemies were pelting the life out of him, the Lord was with him. The Lord gave him a vision of heaven, of the glory of God and Jesus standing right there at the right hand of God. Jesus, the one who descended from heaven, giving up the riches of heaven to be born in a major to Mary and Joseph. Jesus, the one who had lived a perfect life in Stephen's place. Jesus, the one who had died to pay for Stephen's sins. Jesus, the one who didn't stay dead but rose to life. Jesus was there. In his darkest moment, Jesus hadn't abandoned him. And Jesus, showing his face to Stephen, gave Stephen the courage to not only die in peace, but to forgive his enemies even as they were hurling rocks at his helpless body. Seeing Jesus reminded Stephen, God is still with me. And you might be thinking, well, that's great. If I could just see Jesus standing in the glory of God, I'd be that confident too. You have. You have seen Jesus. Maybe you've been to some churches where they put the baptismal font right at the entrance to the church. 
That's to be a permanent illustrative reminder that while when you were baptized, maybe you didn't see Jesus, when you were baptized, Jesus saw you there and He chose you. He took possession of you. He promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Whenever you read your Bible, whenever you hear a sermon, you're seeing Jesus. You know how this time of year, uh, well, it used to be the case where you look through a, a, a family picture album, right? And you, you laugh at some of them, you cry over some of them, you think back to the stories that, that those pictures show. Think of the Bible kind of like that. That the Bible is, is God's love letter to you, where he details everything he did to save you. He details his love for you and the love that he has shown for you in Christ. Here you see Jesus. In a few minutes, you'll receive Jesus in your hand and with your mouth. And he's coming to you and saying, I haven't forgotten you. I'm with you. I'm here for you. I'm here to forgive you and to save you. And for all those times where you haven't had the courage to open your mouth to confess Christ, for all the times you haven't pointed out the sins of the people that you claim to love, for all the times that you've bowed to the pressure of this world to be politically correct and to just go along and get along, Jesus comes to you in the absolution and he tells you, I have died and paid for those sins as well. That's what we learn from Stephen. When we see Jesus, we see that God is still with us. And when we see Jesus in these means of grace still assuring us of his presence, then we see one Final thing, something that is often hard for Christians to see and to perceive in their lives. You know how a lot of Christians like to create art and to buy art or artwork that has Romans 8 verse 28 on it? Romans 8 28. We know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. I think that's good. I think that's good artwork. That's a good verse to put on your wall or on your shirt or on a bumper sticker. But I think a lot of Christians fail to understand what exactly that means. I think your average Christian think that means, well, everything is going to be good in the life of a believer then. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying all things will work together for the good of those who love God. All things, including even bad things. He's saying that God will use even bad things to work together for the eternal good of those who love God. And we may question that. We may question how can sickness, how can sadness, how can breaking up families, how can ruined relationships, how can losing my job for the confession of Christ, how can persecution be a good thing? Let's go back to Stephen's story one last time. After Stephen was stoned to death, an intense persecution broke out against the Christians in Jerusalem by the Jews. They were, in fact, going door to door in Jerusalem, trying to flush out any Christians who remained there. And the result of this intense persecution was that the Christians in Jerusalem had to flee to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and eventually throughout the entire Roman Empire. That may not sound like a good thing to us. I don't think it sounded like a good thing to them either. Would it be a good thing if you had to pick up and leave, run away from your family, your friends, your home, your job? But God used it as a good thing. Because remember what Jesus told his disciples, promised his disciples before he ascended into heaven, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And so wherever those Christians who had to leave their homes and their families and everything behind in Jerusalem, wherever they fled, the gospel also spread like a virus throughout the ancient world. I probably should not have used that word. Spread throughout the ancient world. They, wherever they went, they, they preached the gospel, they established churches. And so that is the good that came out of the blood of Stephen and the blood of those other Christians who were martyred there in Jerusalem. How many thousands of people do you think heard the gospel and came to saving faith in Christ because Stephen was martyred and because of that intense persecution and because those Christians had to spread throughout the world? Only God knows that number. But it's interesting to think about how Stephen's martyrdom would have impacted at least one man. Saul was standing there, holding the coats as Stephen was being stoned to death, approving of his being killed. Well, you know who Saul became later, right? After Jesus showed up to him on the road to Damascus, he became Paul, the Christian missionary. I wonder... How often do you think Paul thought about Stephen's courageous confession, even as those people were were hurling stones at him, as he endured difficulty and pain and even the threat of death in his own ministry? How often do you, what kind of influence do you think Stephen had on Paul writing those letters to those different churches throughout Greece and Asia Minor, letters that, that still form the foundation of our faith today? How much impact do you think Stephen had on the Apostle Paul? Would there have ever been an Apostle Paul without the martyr Stephen? Would there have ever been a Martin Luther if it weren't for the Apostle Paul writing the letters of Romans and Galatians, which had a huge impact on leading Luther to the the core truths of Scripture, grace alone, faith alone, and Scripture alone? Would any of you, or would I, be a believer? If the Lord hadn't worked from Stephen to Paul to Martin Luther to a parent or a grandparent or a pastor or teacher who proclaimed to us the pure gospel of Christ crucified. Again, only God knows that. But the point is that God does, and he will in your life, use even bad things. Even when you face pressure and pushback for confessing Christ, he will use that for good. I'm not going to pretend to know where you're going to face that persecution or that pressure or that hostility in your life. It may be, if you build up the courage today after you leave here, to sit around the dinner table with someone you love and to have the courage to say, you know how you're living is really not how God wants you to live and if you continue in this lifestyle, it's not going to be good. I'm not going to see you forever in heaven. It could be at work. If you refuse to abide by some ridiculous anti-natural law policy requiring you to call men women and women men, you could face persecution there. It could happen on social media where it comes out that you, you belong to that Lutheran church where you don't ordain women and you don't support LGBTQ rights. I don't know where it's going to happen, but, but what I can tell you today through the example of Stephen is that God works good, even through the evil in our lives, even through persecution in our lives. And perhaps, perhaps the good that he could work through you being persecuted for confessing Christ is that that other person comes to repentance and faith and salvation.
I know it's a weird time of year, the 26th of December, to be considering something like a, mar- a martyr's death, being stoned to death. But I hope you can better understand that that, that core truth of Christmas, Emmanuel, it's not just a cute name. It's, it doesn't just look good on banners. It is the foundational truth on which we stand. And it is the guarantee. Jesus born in Bethlehem is the guarantee that in good times and bad, whether we're faced with warmth or hostility, God is with us. Amen.